And uh, just a reminder, if you're here live, um, you also need a, a little cup. And I just realized I forgot one. Deanna, you want to bring one up here to me? And just put it here on the... Thank you. Great to be back here. Uh, Deanna and I were off here last week. And uh, it was uh, a time to just take a little bit of a break. And Steve was preaching, and it, it was good. And, uh, but today we come to the close of a series that we've been in. And this is the eighth week. The title of the series is Sitting at the Feet of God. And it is about a posture of humility. Uh, and, and realize humility is absolutely necessary uh, for our faith. And I want to put up a quote that I put up the first Sunday of this series. It's a quote from Augustine. Look how it reads here. Humility is the foundation of all the other virtues. Hence, in the soul in which this virtue does not exist... There cannot be any other virtue. He is spot on in this. It's the most important virtue that we can possess. Why? When you think of all the other qualities we have, without humility, you cannot love. Without humility, you will not be able to forgive. Without humility, your worship will not be real. It will be fake. Matter of fact, you cannot be saved without humility. If we don't humble ourselves before God, no salvation will occur. It is critical to our faith. And we looked at the first Sunday, the pathway. We actually looked at the character of Isaiah. And one of the things he did that drove him to humility is he did this. He gazed at God... And he saw the immense greatness who he is, and then he compared it back to himself. And you remember what his response was? Woe is me. It drove him toward humility. We're going to end in another passage here. If you've got your Bibles, take, take them out and turn to Mark chapter 6 today. The title of the series to end this is um, Getting in the Boat. Getting in the boat. And next week, by the way, we're going to jump into the book of Ephesians. But look how it reads in chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified." But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This chapter has two groups of people. Now, I didn't read the context for the first group, but I'll put it on the screen. The first group in this chapter is this. It was the crowd that was following Jesus. See, the context of this is that he just got done feeding the 5,000 plus 
This would have been men plus women, wives and children. So it was a huge group. There was a crowd that was following him around. And, and realize this crowd, they couldn't get enough of him. They fell in love with this Jesus, and they knew he was important. Matter of fact, they wanted to make him king. It hints that, that he, they wanted to, Jesus, you got to become a king. So they knew he was special, and they loved the benefits that they got from Jesus as well. He was a healer. He was a provider. He served great fish dinners, and they were free on top of it. But can I propose to you here today that there are people who relate to Christ like the crowd. They believe he's important, but primarily they're there for the benefits. The benefits. But there's another piece to this crowd, and it's, it's a little bit unique and, and it goes back to the way they lived their life. And here's, they were followers of Jesus. But here's the unique piece. They went home at night and went to bed. They stayed in their homes. They were amazed. But they didn't need to walk by faith. They were comfortable with all the benefits. Let me put a question on the screen for you. Just an application question. What's the reason that you follow Jesus you ever pondered that? You know, when you explore that question with people, for some adults, certain theologies that says it's really what I get from Jesus in terms of kind of health and wealth, maybe theology. But for others, when you explore it, so often it comes back, it was the tradition that we grew up in. We always went to church. It's a tradition. If we just grow up in the right family, but here's the deal. You know, if you're a teen here today, and in that age bracket, the stats would say that 90% of you will not be following Jesus a few years after high school. But there is a second group here. Look at verse, verse 45 here. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So here's the second group. It was the disciples who made Jesus Lord and got into the boat. The disciples recognized they had left their fishermen, their businesses. They were following Jesus, but it had become a lifestyle for them. And they had made him Lord, and they were there to obey him. And he's saying, guys, get in the boat, go to the other side, and they did it. They did it. you got to realize one fact. There's three stories of the same. John writes it, and Matthew writes it, and Mark writes it. And if you go to the John text, it's interesting that when they got in the boat, the winds were already going, and it was starting to get dark. So they got into the boat when the conditions weren't all that great. Wind was blowing, but they did what Jesus told them to do. So can I submit to you today, this really illustrates two different kinds of Christians in our world right now. And yeah, it's metaphorically, okay, but it's the one group, they go home at night in their faith. 
because it's comfortable. And there are benefits of Jesus. But there is a second group of those that are willing to get into the boat. Yeah, it's metaphorically. Knowing that there's resistance, that there's wind, and that it is going to be hard. At a free church pastor's cluster meeting, what that is, is about once a month, I try to meet up with a whole bunch of other free church pastors. And um, we met at last Thursday and obviously, we were talking about what's going on in our churches and what's going on around the country. And it was really revealing in many ways because what we're seeing as a group of pastors is the two groups of people. Those that are getting serious about their faith are in the boat and those that are wanting to go home at night and be comfortable. See, the world has flipped upside down. It's hard. The wind is blowing. The world is falling apart. This is really exactly like what John writes. The strong wind is blowing and the waters are growing rougher. And Jesus says, get in the boat. Now, you know, my opinion, there hasn't been a period like this in my lifetime ever. I'm convinced of that. I think back to the, to the 60s when there was riots and stuff going on and the turmoil there, but this is compounded extra stuff. So right now, you understand the wind is howling, the waves are huge, and this is a season of trials, of trials. Look at James chapter 1, because hard times, though, have a purpose. Look at verse 2 there. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, all different kinds. Now, some of you have trials that have nothing to do with the coronavirus. I understand that. But look at verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The testing of faith is going on right now through these trials. And I don't know if we realize it, these trials are revealing our spiritual strengths. It's revealing our spiritual weaknesses. It is revealing the quality of our faith. And, and that's true individually as individuals and collectively as churches. See, when we can't control something, realize a spiritual test is taking place. And that test shows the dimensions of what we really believe about life and faith. It shows our faith. Let me put some statements on the screen. Our responses to COVID-19 reveal our spiritual maturity. Our responses to COVID-19 reveals the, the reality of our true devotion to Christ. And our response to COVID-19 reveals our beliefs about the bride of Christ, the church. And by the way, Christ it wants to build the church even though this stuff is around. See, 2020, trials, a virus, an economy that's in flux, social upheaval, discord. And our response, folks, our response acts as a mirror in our spiritual world. And we don't like it. We don't like when a mirror is directed at our spiritual lives. 
So understand, 2020 is revealing those in the boat and those that are going home at night still liking Jesus. They know him. Now, I need to clarify again as we're going through here. This isn't just about church attendance at all. I understand, let me put that to rest right now. This is about our spiritual attitudes. About, frankly, about Christ's lordship of our life. About living what, how he wants us to live. This is about walking by faith. This is about sitting before God and trusting him. You know, in, in that pastoral discussion on Thursday, one of the things that is going on right now, and, and, and everybody was acknowledging it, many Christians are going in reverse spiritually. They're going in reverse. They're hunkering down, trying to get comfortable, but they're going backwards. A joke was made. Went something like this. The Christian faith exemplified sitting around in pajamas and watching a sermon once a week. That's the new definition of walking by faith. You go, ouch. You know, from a webinar I listened to on Thursday as well, Thursday was a depressing day for me, I'll admit it. 32% of active churchgoers haven't even engaged with their church online. 50% of millennials have not engaged at all. They've basically walked. Regular church attenders. And, and, and the statement was made that new habits have begun in the last four to five months that are helping people regress Go backwards spiritually. See, many Christians metaphorically are just heading home at night. Still satisfied with what Jesus has done for them. And the truth is, that is not a good place to be spiritually. See, metaphorically, staying home at night is just like the crowds in Mark 6. You know, another warning in that webinar was given. Given. And it made the statement, a guy made the statement that people are moving into a deeper form of spiritual consumerism like never before. In four months. Folks, what does it mean to humble ourselves, get in the boat, and submit to Christ's kingship and lordship? When it's dark, when it's windy, when the conditions are terrible. That's what he's asking us. Look at verse 47. I gotta keep going here. Jesus had left them, goes up on the side of the mountain to pray. Look what, how it reads. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Uh, so Jesus knew the sea was harsh when he told them to go. Listen, he wanted them to be there. They were rowing, they guessed, for at least eight hours. They would have gone about halfway across, which would have been about four miles out. And he wanted them to go through this trial. Here's the truth again we need to apply, and I hope this sticks in your brain for a long time. Jesus wants us in the boat. 
See, but we don't like hard times. We want easy. But the question, what does Jesus want? What did he want from his disciples? Go row and go nowhere. Encounter the wind. Encounter the turmoil. Well, let me give you three truths from this text. Why we must humble ourselves and come under the kingship of Jesus and get in the boat. The first one from Mark 6, I said it this way. The purpose of getting in the boat was to help these men have great faith so that they would become instruments for the kingdom of God. This was a training time in order to become men of great faith. They needed hardships and trials. I understand they didn't start out with great faith, these disciples. And Jesus would bring hard circumstances into their life, and, and then he would take time and teach and reveal himself a little more. Why? Their faith would grow. He was getting them ready. See, but here he goes up into the mountain intentionally. Intentionally, he wanted to leave them alone. Why? To build their faith, and listen to this, for the future as well. It was for the future. They needed to cross the Sea of Galilee with an impossible headwind. You know, it was about eight miles that they would have had to row. Dangerous, exhausting, discouraging, rowing for eight hours, going nowhere. What would we do? Jesus wanted them in the mess. By the way, this story is where Peter gets out in the boat and walks as well. Even remember the response, though, of Jesus in that exchange when he starts sinking? Peter, you have little faith. You see, this is about faith building. But let me put a statement on the screen. Jesus understood that being active participants in the kingdom isn't for spiritual lightweights. This was a crash course in faith development. And Jesus knew, listen to this, the worst was yet to come for them. Now, you might be thinking, Ken, is it, do you think it's going to get worse? And I go, yes. For us, I think it will. I really do. Probably. But many, I think here's the challenge. Many people don't understand. We're in an intense spiritual battle and the choice, hunker down, go home at night in our faith, sleep easy, or get engaged in the kingdom of God and make the gospel and Christ the center of our lives. Now, hear me. I'm not talking about making politics center of our lives. See, I think this is a spiritual fork in the road for Christians. Have a Jesus where you can go home at night, or get out into the boat and start rowing where the storms are brewing. Now, again, I, I want you to hear this to make myself clear. This isn't about a political battle. There is a political battle going on. I recognize that there's an ideological war, and I think Satan is linked up with Marxism, and it's convincing people to run away from religion, okay? But I'm convinced that, that but that's true, but... It's not what I'm talking about. The battle that I'm talking about is within our hearts of believers. It's about the church and the kingdom of God. It's about Christians making Jesus king and bowing before him. 
This is about Christians getting serious about faith. Getting serious about becoming disciple makers. Getting serious so 90% of our youth won't walk away from the church with no faith or a mushy faith after they leave home. It's about parents and grandparents willing to stop passing along a comfortable faith. This is about parents believing the kingdom of God is more important than your kids' sports and activities. This is about becoming a men and women of the towel to serve Jesus with a radical serving. Not just a checkoff list once or twice a month. This is getting serious about allowing people to walk with us in deep relationship, to challenge us. This is about marriages getting serious about yielding to the lordship of Christ and really dealing with the core issue of breakdown of marriages, selfishness. This is about meeting God in such a way where there's deep intimacy, where serving the kingdom trumps the American dream of comfort and a cushy retirement. See, this is about fleeing a comfortable faith. That's why God is chopping the waters here for us. And he's wanting us to be trained. So individually, we can actually go to our neighbor and we can disciple our neighbor without having to push them to the, some church program. See, in this story, Jesus is putting them in a setting to produce in them something they couldn't do out alone. They needed these circumstances to change for the radical transformation in their life. And I think that's what God is inviting us to in 2020. He wants to achieve something in us that we couldn't do without going through this. But you got to get in the boat and take Jesus seriously. But there's a second truth I got to point out to you here as we look forward. Number two, hardship is the ideal setting to experience Christ and actually learn to trust him. Hardship. We always run from it. Look at verse 48, though. He came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out. You know, I thought, what did they cry out at that point? I was wondering if they cussed at all. For then they saw him, and look at this, were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. Hardship, trials, no better place than to learn to trust God. You know, many people are wasting it. Last week, Pastor Steve referred to John Piper's an article he wrote called Don't Waste Your Cancer. See, Christians who, who are opting to get out of the boat, they want to go home at night. Do you, you realize when you go home at night, metaphorically, you don't have to trust Jesus. You don't have to trust. And you know what the stats are telling us right now? That people who were in the boat, they're putting their life vest on, jumping out of the boat, and let the wind push them to shore. They're running to home, so they can sleep in their bed. And you go, they're wasting this period spiritually. You know, the Christian blog world is kind of buzzing right now, watching Christians develop new habits. 14% of, of 
of attenders that are online have switched churches. 14%. And you go, what does that say? It says this, church for them is a product. What they get out of it. What they don't understand, the church is about people and relationships. The stats aren't good right now. People are jumping in the water, looking to go home and sleep in their own beds. But here's where I, I think we do need to stop and give credit to the disciples. Have you ever thought, and put yourself in their shoes, they didn't let the wind blow them back to shore. They kept the oars going. This would have been a pretty decent-sized boat. And they stayed in the boat there, guessing close to eight hours and Jesus comes walking along, and, and what was the result? More fear at first. It was more fear. The word terrified. But then Jesus speaks to them. Guys, take heart. It's I, it's I. Do not be afraid. And Jesus gets in the boat. The wind ceased, and they were astounded. Now, if you caught something... It says they didn't understand the loaves. They didn't catch that miracle. Why? Because it says their hearts were hardened. There's no humility. See, Jesus was dealing with them even in the area of humility. Hard times have a way of driving us to humility that no other way can. Jesus had them exactly though where he wants them. Think of it this way as well. Struggling in the boat or at home, Jesus doesn't have to comfort those at home. Only those that are in the boat struggling. But see, in that boat, a grace was going on. It was grace in the boat. What, what I mean by that, it was a grace of radical transformation for these disciples. It was a grace of rescue, of refinement, you know, when we hear the word grace, we want kind of a fuzzy teddy bear grace. That's not what was going on here. But if they weren't in the boat, listen, they wouldn't have watched Jesus walk on the water. Proving that he was God Almighty and that he could do anything he wanted with creation. The fact should cause us to sit at his feet. You know, we read that story and we just gloss over it. Yeah, Jesus walked on water. Because we, we hear that when it's young and we yawn. He's God. You know when we teach that story to kids, you know what usually how we do that? If you listen closely, we emphasize that Jesus is the rescuer. And that's what I learned growing up in church. Jesus rescued the disciples but you know what we don't tell the younger kids? He left them there eight hours struggling. He didn't immediately rescue them. He wanted them struggling. And matter of fact, he could have done it from shore. He could have said, waves be gone. And they would have rowed quickly across or give them a, a, a tailwind to row. Now, did he rescue him? Yes. But he waits eight hours. So they're exhausted. 
But I got to go farther here because there's an interesting phrase in verse 48. It says, he meant to pass by them. Uh, there's something deeper here we got to catch. That phrase is basically identical to a phrase in Exodus 34 when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. Now, I want to show you Exodus 33. God is talking to Moses here in the tent. And God tells Moses, I'm leaving it out. I don't, I'm not going to read it here. But he basically says this, uh, Moses, you can't see my glory. You can't see the fullness of where I am or you're going to die. Okay, that was kind of the, the understanding. But look in verse 33, verse 19. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. He's given him an insight before he goes up on the mountain. And then look at verse, chapter 34, verse 5. He's up on the mountain here. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him. Elijah, by the way, had that same experience. And he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands who forgive iniquity and transgressions and sin. And then he does talk about dealing with sinners later. But see, Exodus 34 is the same phrasing as Mark 6. Something profound happened. This was an aha for Moses, an aha moment. You know, matter of fact, when he came down the mountain, you remember the story is he was lit up like a lamp. He, he shone. And actually the people were afraid to look at him. But here in this story on the sea, Jesus meant to pass by them. Why? It was to show his profound goodness. His compassion, his loving kindness, the forgiving, forgiveness of sin, and that he was God. A certainty there. And he wasn't just good like we're, we are good. This is the complete fullness of God, the goodness of God. And they finally understood the totality of this man, Jesus, who got in the boat. See, there's a third point here I want to point out, number three. Getting in the boat and truly meeting God changes your life forever. But you've got to be in the boat. Things will never be the same again. And for those disciples, that was true, but it was getting ready for when things were going to get harder. But it couldn't have happened without them getting in the boat. Their faith was transformed. Matter of fact, look at Matthew's version of the story. 14, verse 33. Look at what it reads. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, really, you are the Son of God. You know, I'm not sure that Christians really understand who Jesus is until they get in the boat. Without getting in the boat, they really won't see God. And you see God so often in hardship. See, do we see God in hardship and trials? 
Do we embrace that or do we just run from them? Hunker down at home, go to bed at night. See, in 2020, I believe Jesus is inviting us in the boat to truly see a different God that he wants us to see. And we are called to bow and humble ourselves before him and make him Lord. But it means this. We're going to stop being consumer Christians. Stop going home at night in our faith. It means we stop and begin to pray. Pray even for creativity of how to love people during this time instead of an hour of Netflix. We just ponder that. It means maybe giving up weekends at the cabin so you can disciple people and get involved with people. It's about masking up and going working at the food shelf. It's about sitting down every day and praying and reading your Bible for an hour. It's asking God to give you faith to move mountains and have boldness. For some of you, it's about read, reading a parenting book so that your kids don't turn out to be the 90%. It's about getting serious with coworkers and they need somebody to walk with them toward Jesus. See, for some of you, it's about jumping back into the life of the church and even to lead a group. As we, we're going to need leaders this fall, if, even if it's going to be on Zoom. For some of you, it's getting back to church in a sense where you can actually have eye contact with people. And it's standing out in a parking lot after a service. And it may be organizing a picnic for you and another family after church. Just so you can connect and ask this, how are you really doing? What's the option? Staying on shore and going home at night. And sit in our pajamas and letting the kids play in the room all for comfort. Is that really what Jesus would, do for, would want us to do? See, he wants us in the boat 2020, this event is an invitation into humility. Sitting before God, making Jesus King and Lord. But let me end with one application question. When other people observe your faith, would they find evidence that you're really in the boat? Really? Because understand something. We individually are not the best judges of ourselves. It really is a reflection of what other people are saying about us. See, do we catch Jesus is wanting to transform our life and our faith? Not just survive in a world like we're living in. Not just survive. He's wanting to train us, use these trials to get us ready for something profound. I gotta stop. We're gonna do communion. If, if you don't have a cup, you might wanna go to the back and pick one up there. But even communion itself, recognize something. Do you know the hardship that Jesus had to go through for us? It was the ultimate death. But even that, think of the weight 
of the sin on him, taking that on him, himself. See, we need to remember what Jesus has done for us. He paid the ultimate hardship. But the ending is not just what he's done. It's what he's wanting to do through us as well. That's why he was asking the disciples to get in the boat. He wanted to prepare them. And communion reminds us of that as well. But we want to do that. We want to take and we want to remember today what Jesus has done for us.